Hebrews 12, 28 to 29. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray together. Lord, we take on faith that you are a consuming fire. Your word does bear witness to that very fact. And we desire to offer acceptable worship. We desire to reverence you and show you awe. So we pray that you would teach us this morning by your holy word, that you would instruct us that we might be faithful children and give you glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Mankind's highest task, our most glorious purpose, is worship. We were created for worship. It is in our DNA. We worship with every thought of our mind, every muscle fiber of our body, every emotion of our heart. Worship ascribes value and bestows honor upon the things that we believe to be valuable. Worship fuels our ambitions, it supplies our dreams, and it orders our calendars. And for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself has given us the right and the privilege of being able to worship him. Now anything, anything can be worshipped, but only God may be justly and rightly worshipped. Only he is worthy of our worship. Now, many people have wondered why there has been a decline over the years in worship service attendance. And in 1927, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, perhaps the greatest preacher of the 20th century, he saw a similar thing in his first pastorate in a church in South Wales, And he noticed that the churches were poorly attended, but there were buses of people filled, uh, filled with people going to the beach every Sunday morning. And his analysis of that was quite simple. He said, well, obviously, these people prefer to be at the seaside than they do at their churches or chapels. They find more value, more benefit there at the seaside than they do in church. And there is no use in us arguing with such people. There's no use in telling them that they really do not get more benefit there because they honestly and truly believe that they do. And he said, he said what, I, what I would like to say to these people is this. If you honestly believe that you derive greater benefit by spending your day in the country than you do by attending a place of worship, well, then go to the country. Don't come here if you honestly feel that you would do better elsewhere. Unless you feel that uh, something is being offered and given to you here that no institution can offer or equal anywhere else, well, then, in the name of heaven, go to the country and the seaside. The church of Jesus Christ is a church of believers, an assembly of an association of people banded together by a common belief and a common love. You don't believe? 
Well, then don't pretend that you do. But I have one thing to ask of you. Be consistent. When your family member dies, don't come to the church in which you do not believe to have them bury your dead. Go to the seaside for consolation. No. (laughs) Come on, Siri. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that what we do here every Lord's Day morning in this elementary school, even surrounded by these TV screens and Siri and the cafeteria tables and the hand-drawn pictures on the windows, do you believe that what we are doing here is of true value, of eternal value, God himself says that it is. Remember that he said, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that? Because if you do not, then what are you doing here? But if you do believe that, beloved, if you believe that God is God and that when we gather together, we are offering the almighty God worship in his presence as God's people, then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now, beloved, we were created for worship. It is part of our very being, but from even the very beginning of the story of redemptive history, at the very fall into sin in the Garden of Eden, there has been a war over worship. We have been created to worship God, but because of sin, we want to worship anything other than God. We flee from God's presence rather than running to him. We worship something other than the creator. We worship the creature. We devise our own ways to worship our God. And in fact, apart from salvation in Jesus Christ, apart from being restored and renewed and a new life in Christ, we cannot offer acceptable worship. But the good news, beloved, is that God in his supreme love for us has sought after us for the purpose of worship. He is, God has not left us in our state, but he sent his son. Jesus told the, the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, woman, the time is coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in, in, and in truth for the Father is seeking such worshipers. Friends, God himself is seeking worshipers. He delights in worship. He wants our worship. And so he pursues after us so that we might worship him. But what that tells us is three important things. We must be sought for worship. We must be brought to worship. And we must be taught to offer acceptable worship. So we start by considering that we must be sought for worship. We actually are sought for worship. By by nature, we worship anything other than God himself. We worship the creature, 
uh, rather than the creator, or actually more to the point, we are self-serving and we worship ourselves. We ascribe honor, we value the things that we believe will bring us happiness. Those are, that's where we spend our time. That's where we spend our thoughts and our energies. We want to make ourselves happy when we want to serve ourselves. But the problem is that nothing ever fully satisfies because we were created to worship, to adore, to value, to esteem, to ascribe honor to God alone. He is the one in whom our true satisfaction is. And yet God was gracious He sent his own son to be that agent of seeking after us for worship. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. We are not saved because of our worship. We are saved unto worship. It is a response of God's gracious seeking after us. And so, beloved, worship, true worship is a gift that is bought by our salvation. And true and acceptable worship, therefore, is in Christ and Christ alone. So we're sought for worship by the love of our God in Christ Jesus, but we're also brought to worship. Yes, worship is in Christ, but we must be brought even to Christ. Jesus said that no man, no one, can come to me unless the Father draws him. God must draw us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He does that by his spirit. He softens our heart to receive the gospel. He opens our ears to hear it. He opens our minds to understand it and our wills to receive it. We are brought to Christ Jesus as a gift of our God. And so it is in the spirit that we, are com- that we come to Christ. But it's not just to Christ, but when we worship our God, we do it in God's presence. So we must be brought into God's presence, and God must be brought into our presence. And God does that by the Lord Jesus Christ through his Spirit. Remember, we have a great high priest who ascended into the heavenly realms and is in God's presence even now, and we are in him, the Apostle Paul says, by his Spirit. Through our faith in him, we are in Christ Jesus. And what Christ is offering our worship before the throne of God, even now. Paul says that we have been raised with him and seated with him in the heavenly realms. As Hebrews said, we have been brought to this heavenly assembly with the innumerable angels. We are in God's presence by his spirit. Jesus Christ gave his body to Rend the temple veil so that we might enter into God's presence. We must be holy to go into God's holy presence. And so Jesus shed his blood so that we would be purified, as we read from Hebrews chapter 10. And so we are in God's presence. But also God has been brought into our presence by his spirit. Because God... Just as we are in Christ, Christ is in us by his spirit. You know this. You know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is true individually, but that is also true corporately as a body. We 
are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that when we gather together, Jesus said, when two or three are gathered, there I am among you. When we gather together, God himself is with us and we are with him. We are in his holy presence. And so we worship and all the worship that we do in Christ, in the spirit, is empowered by Christ himself. When we sing songs to God, we are singing with the power of Christ to sing praises to God. When we, when, we, uh, when we preach the word of God, it is by the spirit of God that his word is proclaimed. When we hear the word of God, when we confess, when we eat and drink, it is all by the power of God's spirit working in us to condition, to allow us to offer acceptable worship. It is a gift that we are brought into God's presence to worship him. And so, friends, for, for us who are in God's presence to worship, understand that God has sought after you and he has brought you into his presence to worship you. He wants your worship. He delights in your worship. And yes, I know you're the one that set the alarm and you're the one that got ready in the morning and got yourself out of bed and got into the car and drove over here. And kids, yeah, I know you obeyed your parents and you got into the car and let them drive you to worship. But back the story up just a little bit. What gave you the desire, the holy desire to come to worship this morning? Who pursued after you to speak of the hope of Christ. God himself, working through his church, is the answer to that story. God has pursued after you, brought you, and filled you with a knowledge of himself so that you might worship him with joy and gladness and reverence and awe. But friends, once we are brought into God's presence... We must offer acceptable worship, it says. We must be taught to worship. So if there's a, such a thing as acceptable worship, then that must mean that there's an unacceptable worship or a false worship. Jesus said that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. We must worship in truth. And that's actually the spirit of the the second commandment in the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of anything in the heavens above or the earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The spirit of that commandment isn't um, necessarily creating carved images. That's certainly part of it. But it is prohibiting false and unacceptable and unauthorized Worship. God is a jealous God. We read from Deuteronomy chapter 4 where God said the same thing. He said, be careful that you don't make idols that God has not allowed you to make. For your God is a jealous God. He is a consuming fire. And Moses was really just reminding them of something that had happened earlier in their history. In Leviticus chapter 10, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, they offered unacceptable fire, unacceptable incense before the Lord. And the Lord broke out and consumed his, those two sons of Aaron with fire, 
consume them with fire. Friends, do you, do you conceive of God as a consuming fire? Is that, is that how you picture the Almighty God? A fire that consumes his adversaries, but also consumes the sacrifice on the altar, that purifies with fire. I dare say that our culture has lost a sense of fear and reverence of the Lord. How else can we explain the lack of reverence and awe in worship or just a disregard of worship altogether? And this, uh, this reality of who God is was pictured very well by C.S. Lewis in the fourth book of the Chronicles of Narnia series. There's a young girl, Jill, who becomes lost. And as she's trying to find her way, she becomes very thirsty and she comes upon a stream and she approaches it to get a drink. And there is a huge lion sitting peacefully right by the stream. And she stops, of course, in fear of this lion. And the lion says to her, if you are thirsty, come and drink. Well, do, do you promise not to do anything to me if I do? Oh, I make no such promise, the lion says. And as she hears the refreshing stream, she wonders aloud, well, do you eat girls? I have consumed girls and boys, men, uh, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, the lion says. And she shrinks back and she says, well, then... I dare not drink from this stream. Then you will die of thirst, the lion says. Well, then perhaps I will go find a different stream, she says at last. And he says, there is no other stream. And beloved, in worship, our God has given us the right to drink from the rivers of his grace. He welcomes us, and yet we must approach with reverence and awe because our God is not safe he is holy, and he demands reverence and awe. So what then is acceptable worship? What does this mean to worship in truth? Well, we can say three things to that. Um, we, we need to focus on acceptable content, acceptable elements, and acceptable manner of worship. So first, let's consider content, the content of our worship if we are to worship in truth, God's word said, Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. That's why all of our worship must be governed by the content of God's word. It is that, we, that which we proclaim. And the Apostle Paul said, the truth is in Jesus. The, the, the message of the gospel, the message of God's word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be Christ-centered, gospel-focused in all of our worship. We must be exalting and enjoying the Lord Jesus Christ with every song that we sing, every reading that we do, every prayer that we offer. It must be gospel-centered, Christ-honoring. Also, we can look at the elements of worship. God not only dictates for us the content, but also the how, the what we actually do in worship. And we tend to refer to this as the regulative principle of worship, that God in his word tells us how to worship. And kids, regulative principle means that God regulates 
or he dictates, he tells us how we may worship him. Um, even with this, uh, there is great flexibility. You could have two God-honoring, acceptable worship services that look very different because um, our spiritual fathers distinguish between the elements of worship and the form of worship. We're going to confess this a little bit later in our worship service when we get to the affirmation of faith, but the elements of worship are the, the specific things that God prescribes for worship. The forms is the way that we, uh, we do that. The, the elements must be adhered to. We must do exactly those things. We must do exactly what God commands. We must not do what he does not command. The form is where we have flexibility. So the um, confession states that our, the elements of worship are the reading of scripture, the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, the singing of songs. We could also add prayers and um, offering of our tithes and offerings. Those are the elements of worship. But there's still flexibility in the form. We're commanded to preach the word, but there's no specific form of how that preaching must be done. We're commanded to sing, but we're given the freedom to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with tunes written in any generation with instruments or with the only instrument of our voices. We're commanded to, administer, uh, to worship in sacrament, but there's no prescription to the regularity of that observance. And even the structure of the service itself, there is some flexibility. Here at Zion, we have um, adopted a liturgical form of worship. That is to say that there is a liturgy, a, a fixed set of how we um, go through our worship service. God's word says that everything must be done decently and in order, but there is flexibility with that. Our order of service is designed to proclaim the gospel in the structure of our worship itself. So we begin with a call to worship as God calls us into his presence, and we respond with praise and prayer. There's a dialogue back and forth throughout the entire worship service. Back in God's presence, now in God's presence, we're confronted with God's law. We are reminded of our need for Christ, our need for forgiveness, and we respond by confessing our sins. God responds by assuring us of our pardon. We respond with praise and thanksgiving. And then we're brought into God's presence to hear his word. And he, he proclaims his word through the readings and especially the preaching of the word. We respond with praise and adoration, with our prayers of supplication. Then the Lord brings us to his table to remind us that this grace that he has proclaimed in the word is truly ours. We eat, we drink, we rejoice, we celebrate, we sing. And the worship service ends with God sending us back out not with just a Bible-based, guys, get out of here, but a blessing of the benediction, a commissioning of God's people to go into the world, to bear witness, to be salt and light with the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the liturgy that we have adopted here at Zion, but there is flexibility across uh, other faithful worship services. So we... We have an acceptable content. We have an acceptable elements. But then finally, there's an acceptable manner 
of worship, an individual disposition or heart orientation which we need to consider. And quite simply, worship needs to be with our whole self, our whole being, um, every part of us. And we can break this down into five different things. First, it must be wholehearted worship. In our reading from Malachi chapter 1, that was the what the prophet Malachi was rebuking God's people for. They were offering half-hearted worship, unacceptable worship. They were, they were worshiping God, but they were bringing, rather than bringing the best of their flocks and herds, they were bringing the ones they didn't want. They, they brought the sick and the lame and the, the injured and the blemished. And God said, Try taking that to your governor. Will he accept this? Am I not a great king? And brothers and sisters, ask yourself, are you offering to God wholehearted, full-throated worship? Or are you offering something less? What does God deserve? What has he done for you? What does he deserve from you. Is he not a great king? So we offer wholehearted, but we also, we also worship with our minds. It's, it's a whole self that we are wholehearted. We worship with our minds. That's God, God approaches us with his word. We hear it with our ears. Our minds process what he's saying we consider it. We need to be focused on hearing what he says to us. We need to be alert when we come to worship, that we can receive God's word rightly. Uh, but not just with our minds, but with our hearts. If we're truly hearing God's word and receiving it as God's word, it will affect our hearts. It will affect our emotions. That's what our passage says that we offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Beloved, if we know what worship is and know where worship is and know whom we are worshiping, how could we offer anything other than worship that is reverent and with awe? Our God is holy. We are in his presence but not just reverent and awe, but also with joy and gladness. Because, beloved, this God that we're here to worship, he's our God. We are his people. He has sought after us. He has saved us. He has adopted us. He has lavished his blessings upon us. Should that not fill us with joy? Shouldn't, doesn't that condition our heart response in worship? Shouldn't that fuel your songs and your prayers to give true praise, true confession, true adoration. And beloved, if it, if it affects our hearts and our emotions, it will necessarily supply and work itself out in our bodies. Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks, but out of the abundance of the heart, we worship with all of our being. Beloved, there are so much of the commands in Scripture are bodily commands.
commands, bodily commands. Come into God's presence. You who stand in the presence of the Lord, kneel before the Lord your maker. Sing with praises to the Lord. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout for joy. Come into God's presence with dancing. I exhort you to lift up your hands in praise. Beloved, we shouldn't be afraid to worship God with all of our being. This is acceptable worship. This is what worship that transforms us into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, the last thing is we must have single-minded worship. And by that I mean we come into the presence of God we ought to be focusing solely on worshiping him. First of all, not focused on ourselves. What? Well, I don't like this music. I don't like this song. I don't like this. I want this. I prefer this other thing. I don't, I don't, I don't like my singing voice. I don't feel comfortable. We can't focus on ourselves. We are focusing on God. And we also need to do what we can to block out the distractions that are around us, not to get distracted by the imperfections of the preacher or the typo in the bulletin or the kids that are restless on the other side of the aisle. We are coming into God's presence to worship him, and we do it collectively by God's grace. But the other worshipers ought to serve as the background chorus for our own focus on the Almighty God as we rejoice in him. Does that seem out of reach? Does it seem impossible to accomplish that type of worship? Well, I would say two things. First of all, it is out of reach if you are not in Christ. We cannot do any of this apart from the work of God's Spirit working in us. We can't receive joy from knowing that we are saved if we don't know Christ. But God pursues after us. He gives us His Spirit to know Christ, to, rec- to be renewed in him, to, be re- to receive the new birth, and to be regenerate believers, a new creation, p- people that worship God, not ourselves. And so if you don't know Christ, don't think you can worship in an acceptable way. Acceptable worship is only in Christ by his spirit, but he offers you Christ. He offers you Christ. And for us who are in Christ, we have that spirit. It is possible because we have a high priest who is offering our worship for us in God's presence. And we have his spirit that is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. But we need to work at it. It is God who works in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. We must pursue this acceptable worship. And let me offer three practical suggestions for how we would do that. First, prepare. If we are coming into God's presence, we ought to prepare to come into God's presence. You can't focus on worshiping the Almighty God, if you have been in a fight all morning because you, the kids overslept or there's a difficulty getting everyone into the car or you're angry about some kind of argument that happened the night before, you just can't. You, we ought to prepare 
ourselves, prepare our families to come into God's presence. We need to prepare to come in with reverence and awe. What does that what does that mean? And I would say you you know what it means. Ask yourself the question, if you were going to meet with someone that you believe is very important, a human being who you feel is very important, a head of state or the CEO of your company or a very important customer or perhaps your significant other's parents, meeting them for the very first time, how would you prepare for that meeting? What, what, how would you enter into that meeting? I assume you would give that meeting your very best. You would not be late. You, you would come dressed with the proper attire. You would come energetic and mentally prepared to have that meeting. And beloved, does, does God require less? He does not. He does not. Once we're here, the second practical thing is participate. Set your mind on participation. We're not, this is not a, a, a spectator sport. Worship is a participation activity. Set your mind on praying while we pray, with true prayers, on singing with your heart to God in listening and hearing, seeking to hear God's voice and submitting yourself to the word, all the things. Truly participate. And kids, don't make fun of your parents because of their singing voices. Praise God that he has given you an example, a godly example. Praise God that he has given you parents that have brought you to church into God's presence to worship. Focus on worshiping God. And parents, help your, help your kids to worship well. If they need help reading, help them to read. If they don't understand what's going on, explain that to them. God has put you in their lives to help them participate. And then finally, pray. Pray for our preparation and our participation. Pray for I would, I would encourage you, if, if Sunday mornings are difficult, consider as a family, Saturday night, spending time in prayer for your preparations the following morning. God wants you in his presence. He wants you to worship him well. He wants to bless you with worship. He gives gifts to those who ask for them. So ask him. Ask him to help you with your preparation. Ask him to help you with your participation as a family that you would worship truly and to avoid and block out distractions, to worship God with an acceptable way. Pray for your pastor. Pray for his preparation and his participation. Worship, beloved, is spiritual warfare. And that spiritual warfare for pastors throughout the entire week. Pray for his, his preparation as he prepares the word of God to proclaim to you, as God gives him the word that he will proclaim to you on Sunday morning and pray for his participation that the words of, out of his mouth will be true and right and Christ-centered and, and gospel-oriented and God-glorifying. Pray that they would come with a demonstration of the Spirit and with power and pray for all of us that we would prepare for worship to enter into his presence and that we would participate that God would really be among us. He would work among us 
and draw his, draws near to himself. And beloved, that's the, the final thing I, I want to say is that our God is so remarkable. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the way God commands us to worship him is a way that brings blessing to the worshipers. God does not take. God is so abundant in his love for his people, he gives. Because how do we worship him? We worship him by him lavishing forgiveness upon us. We worship him by him giving us joy and gladness in the midst of our gloomy and anxious hearts. We worship him by him feeding us with true food of his word and his sacrament. He, we worship him by being encouraged with our brothers and sisters who share a common faith, a common hope, and will share glory together as we praise our God together. This is the, the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of our gracious God. And so, beloved, we, we were created for worship, and it is one of the highest gifts that our God has given to us. Because in worship, beloved, God draws us near that we might glorify and enjoy him. And so let us, let us be grateful that our God has made us fit by his Son to come into his presence with worship. Let us be grateful that this God is our God and that we are his. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe and joy and gladness for our God is a consuming fire, and he is worthy of our praise. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, your ways are so much higher, so much glorious, more glorious than we could ever ask or imagine. We thank you for your goodness and your love. Help us to have a sense of, the, of wonder at your love for us, at your majesty. And help us to worship you well. We can only do this by the work of your spirit. We thank you that you have sent your son to seek for us. And that you have found us and you have drawn us in. Help us to love you well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.